I have a question for you. How are your friendships doing? Like, for real, how are you and your friends doing? Because after a year of social distancing and lockdown measures during the pandemic, it's more clear than ever that our friendships and social bonds are vital to our health and happiness. The sad truth is that we are lonelier than ever. Get this, the average American hasn't made a new friend in the last five years. How about you? So research has shown that people with close friends are happier, healthier, and live longer than people who lack strong social bonds. So why, when we are seemingly more connected than ever before, can it feel so difficult to keep those social bonds alive and well? Well, on this episode of The Best Thing Podcast, I'm talking about this important topic with my friend, the author, Adam Smiley Pazwalski. You're going to love this episode because we talk about how to create meaningful connections, make new friends, and deepen relationships. As always, I would love to hear from you. Each week, I send out the most amazing text messages to people in the United States. You can receive those if you text me at 310-564-7124. Once again, shoot me a text at 310-564-7124. Eventually, I will be able to send these messages internationally. And hey, if you're more of an email person, just head on over to theantonionevs.com and you can sign up to receive weekly emails from me. Okay, all of this information is in the show notes, but without further ado, let's get to episode 66 of the Best Thing Podcast. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to happen to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I'm the author of Stop Living on Autopilot, a speaker and coach. Each week, as you know, I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. This week's guest is someone I first met during a very special summer in Boulder, Colorado, way back in the year 2012. And I'm so glad that I did. Adam Smiley Pozwalski is a millennial workplace expert, motivational speaker, and author of The Quarter Life Breakthrough and The Breakthrough Speaker. Smiley regularly speaks at Fortune 500 companies and has advised heads of state and foreign leaders about millennial talent, multi-generational engagement, and fostering belonging in the digital age. Smiley's TED Talk on the quarter-life crisis has been viewed nearly 2 million times, and he has spoken in front of 50,000 people in 20 countries. His work has been featured in outlets like the New York Times, the Washington Post, Fast Company, and CNN, among many other outlets. His new book, which I'm excited about, Friendship in the Age of Loneliness, comes out soon or may be available right now, and I can't wait to talk to him about it. Adam Smiley Pozwalski, or Smiley as I know you, welcome to The Best Thing. So good to be here, Antonio. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have this conversation. Let's start with this question right here, man. I read your bio. People are learning about you. Imagine you're on a plane. You're talking to a stranger. Some person is curious. So t- tell me about yourself. What do you do? How do you describe what you do to strangers or I bet sometimes even family members? Yeah, I mean, people don't understand what it is I do sometimes, right? So I usually start with author, right? I write books. I've written four books. 
self-published too, and have published too with publishers. I speak, I speak at companies. That makes sense. But if I say millennial workplace expert, people are like, that's not a real job. <laughs> you know, you're unemployed, aren't you? Just say it, say it like it is. You're unemployed, right? So what it is I usually describe is I help people find meaningful work and I help companies provide meaningful work to their employees, right? I help uh, employers really think about what it looks like to attract, retain, and engage both young talent and everyone, right? Really kind of engaging the multi-generational workplace. We have about 50% of employees now uh, are millennials or young people, Gen Z, just entering the workforce. But we also have people from five different generations. So how can we get folks from uh, across the board to come together and find purpose at work and be a little bit more engaged, a little happier with their days, which is really hard right now, especially uh, in the past year with the pandemic. It's extremely challenging right now. So much has changed. And I've seen Smiley speak. This guy is amazing at what he does, a, a real pro. You mentioned something just then. You mentioned you self-published two books and you have books coming out also with, with major publishing houses. It's funny, uh, you know, people like to say, oh, that's amazing, Antonio. You had a book come out with a big publisher. And I'm like, yeah, that's 2021. Do you know that I've self-published three books before that ever happened? So you, can you just talk about the mindset and how important it is to be willing to I guess the best way to put it is to endorse yourself, to invest in yourself, even before that publisher or that other outlet comes in to say, yes, we want you on our team. A hundred percent. I think one of the things I'm most proud of in my career when I look back is that I did that first book back in 2014, right? I, I self-published the quarter life breakthrough. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm so glad I didn't know what I was doing. I learned, I put myself out there, I was hungry, and I made it happen. And I gave myself the permission slip. That's like one of the biggest things I tell people that are trying to break into publishing, speaking, entrepreneurship in general, give yourself the permission slip, right? Because people are waiting, you know, for the New York Times to come at them, or Simon and Schuster, Penguin Random House, the head of TED, right? Chris Anderson you know, oh, they're watching my Instagram videos, or they're going to come to my front door one day and be like, we're ready for you to give a TED talk. We've been watching you. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Right. And I didn't, at the time, I was just like, you know what, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to start writing. I had a blog. It was a WordPress blog. It was $18 a year to start. You know, it was janky. It looked awful. I went back and I looked at my first blog. <laughs> it was one of the ugliest websites I've ever seen, but I was just starting to write regularly, right? Writing a blog post once a week, putting my words out there. And I realized that people were resonating with what I had to say. I was writing a lot about my own quarter life crisis and my own search for meaning and feeling really lost. Very uh, About in 2012, when I met you, I had just quit my job working in government in, in Washington, DC. And I was about to make this big leap. And I was writing a little bit about it on my blog. And that led to self-publishing my first book. right? And I think that that was one of the, if I think back on that moment, if I were to if I were to kind of tell old Smiley what new Smiley knows now, I'd say, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> I was like, I was doing it right back then, which was just writing and not caring what the outcome was going to be. At the time, I wasn't, you know, I got to be a best-selling author or I got to get, you know, a speaker agent or I got to, you know, be speaking at companies around the world. I think if I had had those goals, I might have been, <laughs> nothing would have happened. You know, I was just like, hey, I'm just doing what I'm doing. I'm writing. I'm sharing my story. And it was working. And that actually is what leads to all the opportunities down the line. So 
you know, I remember I started off with with the self-publishing. I tried to get a book, I tried to get a book deal. You know, the first chance I got, 2013, I was like, you know what? I'm writing a book. I should get a book deal. And the first person I met in publishing was like, you're not ready to get a book deal. It was the best advice I ever got because I wasn't ready. I actually had to do the work first and write the book myself and self-publish. I love what you're talking about in terms of giving yourself permission. You have to give yourself permission first, give yourself that permission slip. In many ways, what you're talking about, what I invite people to do as well, is we have to do things to create our own momentum, to be willing to bet on us, to invest in ourselves. And like you said, it's like kind of like the snowball effect. It works like compound interest over time. Look, both of you and I are speakers. Uh, we know what it's like to be busy. For me, it's always fun in the past to look on LinkedIn or look on social media and say, oh my goodness, Smiley is like in Hungary right now speaking or in Germany. I'm like, of course he's in Hungary or Germany or, or Brazil while I'm in the the middle of Wyoming or somewhere. <laughs> um, so we know what it's like to be on planes a lot, to be busy, et cetera. So I'm curious, the adjustment from you getting on planes on a regular basis, I'm going from, I guess, SFO, San Francisco, to all of a sudden being home, a lot of those gigs, gigs getting canceled, which I experienced. I know things have ramped up a lot. But what was the biggest transitions and adjustments for you personally in the past year when the, the speaking world was, for a while, I think, was turned upside down? Yeah, it was a hard year. I mean, it's been a hard year for everyone. It's been especially hard um, for folks that work in speaking or that are entertainers or work in the events business or meetings business at all, musicians. Um, but I remember feeling a lot of kind of an identity crisis last March and April because so much of my identity was wrapped up in, you know, I get on planes and I travel the world speaking, you know, and I was single at the time and you know, basically I did what I wanted to do and I go places and that was my life. And then, you know, all of a sudden you lose your lifestyle, right? It's more than just your work. It's your lifestyle, right? It's kind of how I saw people. I'm like, oh, I'll be in New York for a gig. So I'll see my friends there. I'll be in LA. I'll see my friends, right? Oh, I'm going to, I have a gig in Europe that I'll tack on a few days. That'll be my summer vacation, right? You kind of make it part of your life. And then when that all went away, and more importantly, when your income goes away, <laughs> an income, I should say that you built up for five, six, seven, eight years of hustling and doing a ton of unpaid gigs or gigs that are paying a couple hundred bucks or, you know, conferences and panels that don't pay much. You feel really um, lost. I felt lost. You know, I felt like I had an identity crisis. Like, what am I going to do? And I felt like a lot of self-worth. I was kind of having these self-worth, you know, is this it? Is this it for me? Like, I got to, I got to find a job. I was having those conversations. I'll be, I'll be real and vulnerable about that. Like, I was kind of like, yo, is this, is this it for me? Like, do I have to switch it up? Maybe this will come back, but is this going to be something that provides my living? You know, so there was a bit of, a little period of that. And then, you know, I'll say this, there are some benefits of not traveling. <laughs> there are some benefits of not always be always on the plane, or you meet someone interesting, especially if you're single and you're like, I'll be back in three weeks, we can go on a date then. And they're like, I'm not waiting for you, you know, <laughs> or right. So having that consistency and a few of the benefits for me, you know, professionally, well, I, I was able to, to write this last book because I had time to write. So that was a beautiful thing. And then personally, I was able to get into a serious relationship for the first time in, in many years uh, of my adult life. So that is a beautiful thing. And I had that time and space to focus on my personal life and to invest in a wonderful woman that I'm still with today. 
that I wasn't, I wasn't giving my personal life that attention that time because I was always on the road. I was always off to the next gig. I was always hopping out of an Uber into a hotel, into an, you know, airport lounge, which sounds dreamy and, you know, that's cool, but you know, it's also nice to find someone that you want to spend the rest of your life with. Yeah, it, it does sound dreamy. I think a lot of people assume the life of a speaker is extremely <laughs> glamorous. And I can say, hey, though I enjoy the work, I love the travel. I'm not complaining by no means. Uh, it is not glamorous all of the time. Uh, heads down a lot. And it, and it can be exhausting as well. Any speaker that does this professionally, that has done this for more than you know a couple years and really does it for a living, not just has had a couple gigs, will tell you that the majority of time is spelt, spent alone at a hotel bar, you know, at, at a at a random Marriott or Holiday Inn in, in in outside of Phoenix. No offense to Phoenix, Phoenix is a great spot, but you know, that's true. That's the truth. That's what the life of a speaker is. Now, occasionally, you are in a place like you know New York City, or you're in Hungary at some cool conference, or you're you know keynoting, and there's jumbotrons, and it's awesome, or you're at you know, in Austin, Texas, and your friends are there South by Southwest or something great. But majority of the time you're at a hotel, there's not a nice hotel, you're in the basement of a room, there's 15 people there. And that's the gig. That's what you're doing. That's the gig. Yes, very rare. I've experienced the jumbotrons, but nine times out of 10, I'm on a stage in front of a lot of circled tables with people's backs to me while they're People are serving lunch at the, ex- yep. <laughs> at the exact same time. But hey, we can talk about that <laughs> in a different conversation. I want to get to this question of the best thing here in a few moments. But I, I want to talk about your book, Friendship in the Age of Loneliness. And you and I have been friends. We, we've talked about this offline before. But I do want to hear a little bit more about the backstory of this. Was it coincidence that you were able to sell this book and write it during the pandemic? Or did you have a situation where you were, you were able to actually speed up, fast forward the publishing and writing process to make this happen based on what was happening across the world. So this is an interesting kind of, I think the story here is, you know, if you have a vision, if you have something that you want to write, keep writing it. Don't worry if people aren't interested in it first. So I had the the idea for writing a book about friendship starting in 2017. So I've been working on this project for three or four years. Uh, I started writing it after one of my best friends died of a brain tumor, of, of brain cancer at the age of 32. So I, uh, one of my best friends, Levi Felix, he had started this community called Camp Grounded. It's a summer camp for adults, digital detox, where people, we take people's cell phones and computers away for four days, and they're in the woods for four days, and they get to connect and, and be channel their childlike selves and use nicknames and not talk about work and not use their devices and really have this moment of just reconnecting with themselves and getting to connect authentically with each other. People have profound revelations of kind of about who they are, what they want to do with their lives, just from taking four days away from technology. They're not identified by their kind of their job or they work at Facebook or they work in marketing or, you know, they're, they're a CEO of a company. They just get to be, you know, cookie surprise or, or whoever they want to be. Um, so I had this experience, this person that had changed my life, a dear friend dying very young, kind of all of a sudden. Um, and I wanted to kind of write a a book in honor of him and what he taught me and what Camp Grounded taught me and how we connect in the digital age and what technology is doing, um, and how hard it is to make friends as an adult. And so I remember initially pitching it to my agent, a book about friendship and, you know, she was kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of soft. 
you no. know, friendship books kind of, you know, generally are, are not seen as, you know, very big time idea books. And then I kind of went back to her and it was actually still before COVID. It was before the pandemic. But she was like, you know what? This is great. I think there's this is the right time for it. So that was about two years later. I had done a lot more work and writing on it. So we sold the idea for the book, Friendship in the Age of Loneliness, in February 2020. So folks that will are paying attention will know, okay, that's like three or four weeks right before COVID. I'm so glad we went out to publishers then because then there was this kind of dark period where people weren't buying books because, you know, there were so many shifts in industry and, and things were shutting down. So we sold it right before the pandemic uh, and not knowing that it would actually be even more relevant of a topic <laughs> a year later when the book was going to come out or a year and a half later. So I remember when I got the deal, they said, okay, we want the topic, but you can't have loneliness. You have to change the title. It's too depressing. Like no one wants to admit that they're lonely. So it was really interesting to kind of be like, oh, and then down the line, once we were in COVID, they were like, the title's great. Let's keep the title. I was like, yeah, exactly. Let's keep the title. So it was just kind of this moment of, hey, if you have a vision, stay at it. It morphs, right? So it started with Levi. It started with my friend and wanting to write a book about him and what he taught me. And it kind of evolved into this book about friendship in this moment. And I weaved in the pandemic. I didn't want to make it all about COVID and the pandemic. But I wrote the book mostly, a lot of it last year, living through a time of social isolation and lockdown. So I wanted to kind of weave all this experience together. Of what does friendship look like in the digital age? How are we connecting in real life? And then what happens when we actually can't connect in real life? Yeah, that's that's great. And just I, what I love you brought about, brought about um, how you were doing the work when no one was watching. It's always good to do something when you're getting paid, when there's a check, when you're hitting publish every single week, but you got to be willing to do the work when no one is watching. And the fact that you did all that work, it led to that, you know, the perfect timing for this book to come out. Let's talk about it a little bit, this book, um, Friendship in the Age of Loneliness and, and what friendship does look like now, Smiley. I mean, as you mentioned, I know firsthand as I get older, it is harder to make friends. I, I, I can't lie. It's kind of like it's dating. Like I don't want to meet a new friend. Like I feel like sometimes I tell myself that because of the energy and effort that's required as you get older to make new friends. But then even prior to the pandemic, I noticed a lot of people in the research talks about isolation and how destructive it can be. How many of us were disconnected, as you know, technology, but also disconnected. So just briefly, who is this book for and what are you going to hope that it accomplishes for those people that that, that read it? Yeah, so I think this book is for uh, everyone that is suffering from loneliness. It is very much an epi epidemic, both in the United States and across the country, uh, across the world. So two thirds of Americans experience loneliness. Nearly eighty percent of Gen Zers, so that's folks, you know, under the age of about twenty-two, eighty percent experience loneliness, and seventy percent of millennials are lonely. And I just um, have to just stop you for a quick second because. <laughs> I bet that's going to shock people because they're like 80% of Gen Zers, these people who are on Snapchat and TikTok nonstop. Like, so you're con quote unquote connected to people all day messaging, yet you still feel disconnected. Yeah. And that's kind of the point, right? It's like we've ex we experienced this as connection and these companies and apps, which can be useful sometimes to bring people together. That look, we're doing this podcast because of digital technology. People have been using Zoom this year or Slack this year to connect. That can be good. But right, it's not the same as actually having a real friend. The average American hasn't made a, a, a new friend in the last five years. That's people of all ages, 
right? People are only spending 4% of their time with their friends, but they're spending 50 minutes a day each on Facebook and Instagram. Wow. So it's a huge issue. And then in the meantime, we're seeing, as you mentioned, I mean, young people using TikTok constantly, the internet constantly, and having skyrocketing rates of teen anxiety, teen depression, suicide. The suicide rate for, for young people age 10 to 13, uh, 14 has tripled in the last 10 years, right? So this is real stuff. This is not just like, oh, you're spending too much time on social media, like, you know, looking at cat videos. This is actually like affecting people's lives and leading to really severe health health outcomes. So I wanted to write a book that, you know, helps young people, helps people of all ages remember what really matters, right? Yes, the connections, the followers, you know, they can have some value, but they're not what really matters. What really matters is knowing who your people are and showing up for them and spending more time with them in real life if you can. And if you can't be with them in real life, at least letting them know by picking up the phone, writing a letter, sending them a text you know, this is why I'm grateful for you. This is how you showed up for me. This is how I want to show up for you. This is what you've given to me. Because that's the real stuff, right? A lot of studies show that, you know, the biggest determinant of living a healthy and happy life is social relationships, right? It's not money. It's not power. It's not prestige. It's looking back and being like, these people love me. I love them. I can point to the people in my life that I care about. I know who they are. I know I showed up for them. I know how they showed up for me. And I don't, and, and investing in social relationships and friendships and connection, I think is the best investment we can make. Yeah, I agree 100%. Here's a question I have for you. Um, listen, we're, we're all biased. We all think we're amazing. We all think we're amazing friends. We're making some assumptions right now about how we are showing up for people. Uh, my hunch is a lot of us aren't showing up the way we think we are showing up. Just to get a little bit more more practical and tangible for, for the listeners and for myself as well, Smiley, um, this is a big, broad question, but I'm, I'm hoping you can break it down to a small answer that will, will help me and others. How can we be better friends? Mm, great question. Um, I think we can be better friends by listening more. <laughs> I think uh, that's I think that's an area of growth for me. I'm, I love speaking. I love talking. You know that. But just being a, a shoulder to uh, to cry on, to listen to. So many people are going through things now, right? We know this through the pandemic with the, with the mental health crisis, with with all the changes that are happening in the world right now. There's a lot of uh, emotional challenges, right? There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of work people are doing on themselves, trying to become better citizens, trying to kind of understand understand themselves more. And showing up and just being able to listen to our friends. And I say, I hear you. I want to know more. Tell me your story is small, but very, very, very powerful. I'm reading a book now by Adam Grant, who's a great organizational psychologist. And he, it's called Think Again. It's all about the power of knowing knowing what you don't know, rethinking your opinions, right? Not being so like, oh, this, I know everything, or this is how it is, or those people are wrong, I'm right. And I think, and he writes about this, that one of the most important ways of challenging your opinions and assumptions and growing and evolving is listening. Yeah, Adam Grant, by the way, his podcast is pretty fantastic as well. And you're spot on in terms of listening, not listening solely to speak, but listening to to understand. What yes. a unique skill set it is that if you're a manager leading a team, if you are a parent, if you are a spouse, you have a significant other, friend, et cetera. So that's a good reminder for me and for, I think, everyone 
So let's get into this question. Uh, you know, I talk to people about sometimes the best thing to happen to them that that's non-traditional that wouldn't show up on the resume or bio that has had a profound effect on on who they are today. And, and I'm curious for you, Smiley. What, what's one, I'm sure you have many. The way that I know you, I'm thinking you have many cool ones. But but what's one best thing to happen to you that has had a played a profound effect on who you are today? The, what come what came to mind when I was thinking about the question? Although I, I, there are many things that I feel like have been very impactful for me are that freshman year of high school, I decided to go out for the cross country team. Now, here's why this was important. You know, I'm a, I was a pretty, you know, kind of scrawny kid freshman year of high school. So that was 1997 for me, Cambridge, Massachusetts, CRLS, uh, about 2000 kids in my high school. Uh, obviously wasn't going to play football. <laughs> you know, that was not, not big enough or wasn't going to play football. The soccer team was really good and really athletic. Uh, you know, I didn't have the skills to make the soccer team. So pretty much the only other option was cross country. I didn't even know what the sport was. You just go run, right? Cross country is running, not even track and field where there's other things you do. It's just running. You run for three miles, five miles, 10 miles, 15 miles. And you just run, you know, and I grew up in Cambridge, which is, uh, outside of Boston. So it's pretty cold and, you know, windy and wet a lot of the year, especially in cross country in the fall. So we're doing a hill workout a week or two into practice. And I'm kind of just like, oh, this is great. Smiling away, like having fun, just chilling. And my coach is this Boston guy. And he's like, you know, what the hell are you doing? Smiling kid. Stop smiling. Stop puking. Stop puking kid. What are you doing? Smiling. <laughs> And so, you know, it was a casual decision. I was like, I want to play a sport, but that led to the team calling me uh, Smiley. And that led okay. to my nickname. I, I love it. Never knew that. Yeah. So that was, you know, my coach. Uh, there were two brothers, Jesse and Scott Cody, who I consider mentors to this day, um, kind of made me feel really included. They made me feel like I belonged. I, I was one of the slowest kids on the team, you know, through senior year. We had a, actually, you know, one of the best teams in the state. We won state championship, um, multiple seasons, championships. And I got to be captain senior year, even though I wasn't the, you know, the fastest kid on our team. I was kind of the team captain in terms of spirit. I made, but I did make the varsity squad in cross country. There's seven people that make the, the varsity team. Uh, I made the, worked my way up and made the varsity team. It, it taught me the value of teamwork, participation, hard work. You know, I would still do all of the, you know, 15 mile runs on Sunday, all the hill workouts, all the interval workouts. And I still run almost every day to this day. And that's nearly, you know, what, 20 years later after, after high school. So it did have a profound impact on my life. And it's, uh, I'm really grateful that I found that sport. A lot of people don't like to run. I understand that <laughs> it can be pretty hard on the body and, and boring, but I love it. And it's, it's been a big part of my life ever since. I love that story. Didn't know it. I love that's where Smiley came from. I had chills while you're talking. Well, one, first and foremost, running is a form of therapy for me. Uh, probably the same way it is for same. you. Like without, I, I was running at five o'clock this morning and it just gets the crazy out of my head, but also makes me feel good. It's interesting, man. As you, I'm calling you, I, listeners probably realize how familiar I am with you for in terms of being a friend because I've said man like 18 times already. <laughs> here's, what's, here's what's unique, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm too cats. Like I'm just having nah, a conversation. We're, with you. We're, we're buddies, man. We've known each other for a long time. Each other for a long time. But here's what came up. You you talked, you said two words that really stood out to me. You said your coaches, by the way, you do an amazing Boston accent. Uh, <laughs> um, but you said they made you feel included and made you feel like you belonged. Is it just me or holy moly, how much 
even those two words show up in the work that you do today in helping managers, helping leaders. Am, am I going crazy or no, those, those two words in inclusion and belonging, they're, they're, they're hallmarks, they're pillars of, of your work today. Yeah. I mean, and I try to make that kind of mine of my missions, especially this past year with talking about belonging in a remote workforce and psychological safety and helping feel seen, people feel seen and con- included. That's what the research shows. You know, there's all this, you know, workplace, there's so many studies. One of my favorite studies was uh, a study that Google did looking at the most successful teams at Google, right? Uh, and, and, and you can find it. It didn't have anything to do with, okay, smartest people that went to MIT or Harvard or worked at all these other impressive places. The most successful teams at Google they all exhibited high degrees of psychological safety. That is, the people on those teams felt seen and heard, felt like they could be themselves around their coworkers. That's it. (laughs) That was the most important thing. The same thing I experienced freshman year of high school from my track coach is what, you know, the most powerful company in the world considers the biggest hallmark for a successful team and a successful, successful organization. It's that simple. Now that's, that doesn't mean it's it's that simple, you know, it's that simple. It's hard to do in practice. We all know a lot of people do not feel seen or included at work or in their jobs or in their lives. That's why we have so many issues. But if we remember that what people are looking for is to feel, to feel seen and included, I think it actually can make it can really shape our, our work, the writing we do, you know, the podcasts we have, the companies we build, the products we build, that's what it's about. Absolutely. And just for the listeners right now, and a reminder for myself, just think about someone in your life. It could be a colleague, it could be a family member, it could be a friend that may not be feeling that way right now. They don't feel included. They don't feel like they belong. And maybe you can think about something that you can do to support that, to to make them feel a little bit better about those things. Um, wow, what, what a great reminder. Can I share one more thing? Just on, yeah, I please. just wanted, this is, this is just a, a personal shout out to you. As I remember two distinct moments of you making me feel included. I remember walking in to, you know, for listeners that don't know, Antonio and I met in 2012 uh, in Boulder, Colorado at this program called the Bold Academy. It's kind of a life coaching, life uh, leadership development program that Antonio was running uh, with a woman named Amber Ray. Um, And I walked, I remember walking into this, this building was actually in a frat house. They had taken over a frat house to make it this really, this interesting program. And I sat down in the circle. I, you know, I wasn't there for the whole program, but I'd sat down and I remember you coming up to me, you know, at a break and just being like, I don't know who you are, but I feel your energy and I know you're amazing. You got something going on. Yeah. You got that sparkle or something. And I just felt so, cause I, that was one of the first kind of experiences I had around kind of people that were in the personal growth, personal development space, coaching space. And I kind of felt like an outsider and you instantly made me feel like I belong, like I was welcome, that I had something, that I was special, right? That I mattered. Uh, I just remember that because that was so early on my entrepreneurial journey, right? I wasn't an author then. I wasn't I wasn't anyone then. I was just some dude that rolled into a, basically crashing a party, essentially. So well, I want to- First, I appreciate, I appreciate you sharing that. But for me, it's also just a reminder. And I think there's things I've done in the past, and I'm sure people listening can relate to this as well. Those moments when you're thinking something positive about someone, or there's an affirmation, something that's being transmitted to you. And that person's there, but we don't say it to them. Yes. Like we could be at a meeting. We could really appreciate what a colleague says, what a family member does. And we're in our head. We're like, that person's amazing. They have good energy. I like what they're about. Don't know them. 
but how rarely we actually say it to them. And at some point, I don't know when I started doing, I started making myself accountable to, to share these things with people. And I'm, that, I'm glad I shared that with you. Funny enough, it's not always received well. I'm glad. Um, yes. I'm glad you received it well. Um, thank you. Uh, my, that's my last question for you. And it's one I didn't plan on asking, but I think it's an interesting one to end on because we talked about your journey with your book at the beginning. We talked about the the, the self-publishing that you did prior to getting a major publishing house. We talked about even the, your current book that's coming, that, that's out, Friendship in the Age of Loneliness, how before you had the book deal, you, you were writing on something already that you cared about. So it was ready to go when the time was right. But then you mentioned track and field. So I'm forcing all these things together. I think I see a connection. But you, I'm well, just give me your opinion, Smiley, on the power of showing up, mm. even if you don't win. And I say even if you don't win, because you showed up every single day to track practice to those meets. And you said you, you, you didn't win all those races, right? I know firsthand as a track and field athlete, uh, myself in high school and college, I very rarely won, but you still show up every single day. You write every single day. You show. So just talk about the power of showing up, even if there is no re- reward at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, I think that's it. I think that, that, you know, I remember what I learned from that experience, uh, you know, in track and running for 12 seasons in high school was that I was getting so much value from the experience that had nothing to do with, you know, I wasn't breaking records. I wasn't placing in most of the meets. I wasn't winning the races, but it was making me feel good. And I was helping other people and I was still kind of part of the team and I was helping other people improve and helping other people get PRs and personal records and helping the team win. Right. And the team win meets and the team win uh, state championships Right. And to this day, and, you know, sometimes I'm not making bestseller lists, right. Or getting my, yet, yet, you know, my name, you know, across the New York times, although my name has been in the New York times, I will say that. And the New, not, and the New Yorker. Not, and not, the- like, not across the front page or any like, you know, top headlines or anything. But I do know that my work has affected people and impacted people because I keep putting it out there. So just remember that impact of reaching one person and that, you know, it's not about, we're, we're always, I think, you know, we're always trying to build our platform or have more reach or sell more product. We forget a lot of the times that it's just about, you know, connecting with one person or helping one person. And that comes back to the friendship book. Less is more. One of the things I really learned with this book is it's not accumulating thousands and thousands of friends, it's going deeper with the people in your life that you truly care about, or as you said, letting them know how you feel about them, that that's going to be the real measure of true friendship. And that that's enough. And that's enough. That's the thing. That's enough. It's enough to show up and and run your hardest and be at practice every day in the rain or the snow or the heat. That's enough. You, you know, good. You, that's it. That's, that is it. That's the whole thing. It's enough to show up in the morning and be writing, even if you're like, even if you're kind of struggling, it's enough. It's enough to be doing the podcast, even if you're kind of saying, oh, whatever, I'm not top number one. Who? It's enough. It's enough. I love that. It's enough. I love what you said as well, man. Um, and this is really what you do. I never thought about it from a speaker perspective, from an author perspective, but if there's a theme on what you do, man. You help people win. 
and you're committed to that. And your work is, is a great example of that. So I can't thank you enough for joining me for this conversation. It's been a lot of fun. I broke the world record for saying, uh, man, <laughs> listen, man. Um, and for the listeners, listen, friendship in the age of loneliness an optimist guide to connection. I want you to pick this book up. It is something special. Smiley has also other books out there that are amazing, but friendship in the age of loneliness. I think this is prime time for us to read this book and to get deeper into our connections to let people know that they matter and to encourage more. So Smiley, for folks that want to learn more about you beyond the book, where uh, should they go? Yeah, so definitely buy the book on Amazon. Uh, check me out on Instagram and Twitter at What's Up Smiley. My website, smileypozwalski.com, has a lot of great resources, great free resources, and sign up for my newsletter at the, my website. Beautiful. All those links will be in the show notes. Smiley, appreciate you. Take care of yourself, man. Love you, man. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Adam Smiley Pozwalski. I hope you loved it as much as I did. For more information about this episode, just head on over to my website at theantonionez.com. There, you can also sign up to read the first chapter of my book, Stop Living on Autopilot. Or you can sign up to receive five questions that can change your life for absolutely free. So, hey, if you still haven't followed the Best Thing podcast or left a review for it, I invite you to do it now. To leave a review, just look at your phone screen. Click where it says the best thing, which is in purple. If you're not seeing this, then you're probably listening to this on a different app. I want you to click on where it says listen on Apple podcast, and then you'll see the purple link. Click on that. Scroll down past all of the previous episodes to where it says ratings and reviews. All you need to do is tap the star on the far right and you've left a five star rating. I thank you in advance for taking those 10 seconds to do that. Thank you once again for listening. Thank you for sharing this episode with your friends and followers. I will see you back here next week with another amazing episode. In the meantime, remember, the best is ahead. When you work and believe like the best is ahead, things begin to change for the better. Never forget, you have a say in this.